Amen. Please be seated. Praise the Lord. Thanks for being with us. It's a joy to celebrate the risen Savior with you in this uh, sixth service that we've done here this weekend. So praise the Lord. Uh, Yesterday at the 2 p.m., which was the first service we had uh, yesterday, there were some people in the parking lot who had driven here from Pennsylvania just to worship with us. They weren't visiting family. And so, yeah, they're not here. They don't... That was yesterday, but anyway. Uh, But at every service, I've asked, who drove from out of state? Uh, You weren't coming to visit family or friends. You drove out of state just to worship with us. And every service has been people, Ohio, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. One family drove from Chicago. So who might be here from another state? You came just to worship with us. Where are you all from? Indianapolis, Indiana. Indiana. Thank you for being here. Indianapolis, Indiana. Where are you all from? San Diego. San Diego. You came all the way here from San Diego. Where else? Anyone else? Where y'all come? New York. New York. Anyone else? Where? Who? Where? When? Speak. Tell me. Anyone else? Speak now or forever hold your people. Where? Alabama. My first, my first drive-through Krispy Kreme experience was in Dothan, Alabama. Thank you for being here with us. Let's give a hand also to our online audience around the world watching us and joining us. Well, I'm going to share it in Luke 24, but let's first have a word of prayer. Father, it's good to be in your house. It is good to celebrate Jesus, and we just thank you, Lord, that you loved us so much. You came to die for our sins, and you rose from the dead. And we just glorify you in this place. We exalt you here. Around the world, millions of people are gathering to do the same. And so we just join in a symphony of praise to declare that Jesus is Lord. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went camping together once. And uh, after they had a nice campfire and had a nice dinner, then they lay down for the night. A few hours later, in the middle of the night, Holmes uh, woke up and nudged his friend, Dr. Watson, and he said, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. And so uh, Sherlock Holmes says, well, what does that mean? And Watson pondered for a minute and he said, well, astronomically, it means that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Horologically, it means that it's about quarter of three in the morning. Theologically, I can see that God is all powerful and that we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. And then he says to to Sherlock Holmes, what does it tell you? And Holmes was silent for a minute, and then he said, Watson, you idiot, it means someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) Sometimes it is easy to miss the obvious. And the same is true about Easter. Culturally, it means Easter bunnies and pastels and uh, 1.5 billion marshmallow peeps, by the way. That's a real statistic. Seasonally, it means it's spring. Academically, it means that students get off school. 
Commercially, it happens to be one of the biggest retail holidays in America. It is estimated this year that Americans will spend nearly $21 billion on Easter-related purchases. But truthfully, this holiday is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. It is the one thing that separates Christianity from all other world religions. No other world religion makes the claim that their leader, their guru, their prophet or king died and rose from the dead. Only Christianity. Now, there are basically three groups of people who are here today. Some of you have come because when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've come to celebrate it. Others of you have come to investigate it. And still others of you, well, you're here because you have a drug problem. Somebody drug you here against your will. You're hoping to get a ham sandwich out of the deal. I hope you do. And even more. But that's basically the three groups we have. Celebrators, investigators, and druggies. Okay? It, it, you know, just go with me. If somebody drugged you here, they're a drug or you're a druggie. Don't get all Will Smith on me. But anyway, is that too soon? Is that a little too soon? So the first group I'm not concerned about, right? Because you're here to celebrate because you already believe. You don't need to be convinced. I have a heart for the other two groups, the investigators and those who have kind of come here just to please somebody else, because you need to be convinced. But can I tell you that it's not my job to convince you? That's God's job. My job is to do the best I can with God's help to lay out the information and then trust that God is going to translate it to everybody's heart so that we will all see our need for Jesus. You are not here accidentally. You are not watching online accidentally. God is not a God of the accidental. God is a God of purpose and intention. And I believe that the God of the universe wants to personally and powerfully visit many of you today. That you would know him in a personal relationship. God is purposeful in that way. He was very purposeful and intentional when it comes to this story we're looking at. The crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus didn't just happen. God planned it and purposed it. The Bible says in Acts 2 verse 23 that Jesus Christ was crucified, listen, according to God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And then the rest of Acts 2.23 says, and then God raised him from the dead. This is all God's plan. Not just in the New Testament does it say that, it prophesied it in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 53, verse 10, it says it was God's will to crush him, Jesus, and to cause him to suffer. God's will. The next verse, Isaiah 53, 11 says, and though he will suffer, though he will see the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life because God intended to also raise him from the dead. The God who caused Jesus to suffer is the same God who raised him from the dead. Now, why would God do such a thing? And the answer is because it was God's will to save us from our sins. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus accomplished that. See, he had you and me in mind when he allowed his son, his only begotten son, to die on a cross for our sins. How is it that the death of Christ accomplished the forgiveness of sins for us? Here's how. I want you to think of it like a court of law. Let's say that you have been charged with a crime. You go before a judge in a court of law and you were found guilty. 
you then must serve a sentence for your crime. But what if someone comes into the courtroom, pleads with the judge, and says, I will assume the guilt of this person's crime. I will serve their sentence for them in their place. And the judge accepts that person on your behalf. You are acquitted and allowed to go free. And this individual serves out the sentence for your crime. This is what Jesus did. Okay? God is the righteous judge of the universe. We've all been charged with the crime of sin. We're all guilty of sin, by the way. There's none righteous, no, not one. The penalty, the punishment for sin is death. The Bible says so, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Listen to the rest of the verse. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus comes onto the scene by the will of the Father. He says, I will assume your guilt, my guilt. I will, I will suffer in your place. I will f- fulfill your sentence so that you can go free. And the righteous judge of the universe accepts his innocent life for all of our guilty lives so that we could experience forgiveness, forgiveness for our sins. And then, and then God raises Jesus from the dead to show that he's all powerful over sin and death. Now, the Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to several people on different occasions over the course of 40 days until he then ascended back into heaven. On one occasion, he appeared to more than 500 people at the same time. The Bible records all that. One of the first appearances that Jesus made after he rose from the dead was to his disciples. I'm going to read the account in Luke chapter 24. This is what it says, verses 36 to 53. Jesus himself stood in the midst of his disciples and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit, or some translations say a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, obviously so that they could see the nail marks in his hands and feet, and says, but while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ, for the Messiah, for himself, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins, should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you were witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So here's what Jesus does. When he appears to his disciples, he imparts to them two things. The same two things that he imparts to us today, and it's what I share with you. 
Number one, evidence for the head. Number two, hope for the heart. He he starts with evidence for the head to help his disciples understand that he is risen from the dead. Now, one of the things I've always found curious in this resurrection story is why the disciples were so startled. Because Jesus had told them, like over and over again, when you look at the the totality of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus said no less than 10 times when he was still alive. He said to his disciples, listen, guys, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Example, Mark 9, 31. Jesus said to his disciples, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. It's very direct, like it's unambiguous. So I've always wondered, why weren't the disciples sitting around counting down the days? You know, like, like day one, oh, guys, man, this is terrible. Like he was crucified. That was excruciating to watch, you know. But remember, he said three days. Day two, it's like, we're halfway there. Guys, come on, this is going to be a great day tomorrow. Day three, it's like game day. Yes, he's going to be here. Let's just look for him. Instead, they're all like startled. Like, like whoa, whoa, it's a ghost. Like, whoa, Jesus, whoa, no way. And Jesus is like, Yahweh. You know what I'm saying to you? <laughs> like, Yahweh, like I'm here. Okay, now... I'm going to tell you why I think that they weren't expecting him, why they were so frightened, okay? And it's a simple human nature thing. When we're convinced of something, it may be true or it may be false, but when we're just like convinced of something, people can say things all around us and it's very hard to get us unstuck. And I think the disciples were just convinced the dead stay dead. Even though Jesus the whole time was like, guys, I'm going to die. And I'm, you know, after three days, I'm going to rise again. They're like, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. But then when push comes to shove, they're like, well, you know, dead people stay dead. That's what we're convinced of. And when you're convinced of something, it's very hard to get unstuck. Uh, I'll, I'll illustrate it. Uh, years ago, when, when our kids were young and still at home, um, the boys were in the car with me. Tyler was about 12 and he was on the, the passenger seat uh, in front. Austin was about nine. He was sitting in the back seat. And uh, I, I did what every loving parent does. Uh, I took them through the drive-thru at McDonald's. Okay, don't judge me. You, you've done it too. <laughs> and so uh, I got them their food. And it was like October, November of the year. So you know how McDonald's comes out with like these seasonal milkshakes? Yeah. And so like October, November, it's the pumpkin milkshake. So I'm like, okay, okay, let's go, let's go for the pumpkin milkshake. So I, I ordered, that's all I wanted. I want the pumpkin milkshake. I got the pumpkin milkshake, got them their food, gave it to them, off we went. I started chugging that pumpkin milkshake like nobody's business. It was delicious. I just want to tell you something. It was wonderful. Okay. So as I'm like, wow, this is great. Tyler says, can I try? Like, yeah, sure. I hand him the milkshake. He tries. Like, what do you think? He's like, this is awesome. This is like an incredible milkshake. I love it. Love it. So Austin's in the back seat and he's like, I want to try. I want to try. Okay, Tyler, pass it to Austin in the back seat. Again, don't judge me. The germs on the straw, probably healthier than the meals they were eating. But anyway, (laughs) Austin takes a swig and I'm looking in the rear view mirror. I'm like, pretty good, huh? He's like, dad, um, this is chocolate. What? 
It's not chocolate. I ordered pumpkin, got pumpkin, tasted pumpkin. Tyler, did you taste pumpkin? Yeah, I tasted pumpkin. It's two out of three. You're wrong. Austin, sorry. Give it back. Gave it back to me. I took a sip. Hmm. I opened the lid. It was chocolate. But see, I was like so convinced in my head, it was hard to get unstuck. Like I I had it in my head. This has to be pumpkin. And I'm tasting pumpkin, even though it's chocolate. So here the disciples are. And they're like, dead people stay dead. And Jesus is like, not me. And he says, take a look at me. Like, look at my hands. Look at my feet. And the Bible says they still did not believe. So for more evidence for their head, Jesus says, all right, how about this? Give me something to eat. You have any food around the house? Why did he do that? Because typically ghosts don't eat, right? Spirits don't eat. Jesus says, to show you that I'm flesh and bone, I'm going to eat something. So the Bible says they give him a broiled piece of fish and honeycomb. So back to McDonald's, filet of fish and honeycomb cereal. Kind of an odd combination, but that's what they gave him. And he's eating in front of them. That's all he's doing. It's just, they're just watching him as he's eating. It's all part of helping them in their head to see the evidence that he's alive. Now, at this point, though, some of you would rightly say, well, that's all good and well for them, but I don't have the advantage of seeing the risen Lord. Like, I I can't touch him. I, I can't see him appearing to me like he did to them and see the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. And, you know, the truth is that Jesus had you and me in mind in that regard. He knew that. This is why a week later when he appeared to Thomas, one of his disciples who wasn't there originally with the others, that Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas was known as the doubter, and he says, go ahead, put put your hand in the wound in my side where I was stabbed and, and see my nail scars in my hands and in my feet. And Thomas then believed, and Jesus said in John 20, verse 29, Thomas, you have believed because you have seen But blessed are those who have believed, but have not seen. And Jesus was thinking about every successive generation, even unto us today, that there would be people who would not have the tangible, empirical evidence right in front of them. And Jesus knew that. He said, this is going to take faith. But blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. And then Jesus gives one more piece of evidence that is important for all of us today. Because Jesus basically then says something transcends just this one moment in time where my disciples can see me and touch me and know that I'm real. And he points their attention to the scriptures. And he says there in what I read a moment ago, he says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. What's he talking about? Well, the prophets and the law of Moses and the Psalms is the totality of the Jewish scriptures. It's what we call our Old Testament. And Jesus said, look, guys, all of the Old Testament prophets and the law of Moses and the Psalms all was pointing to me. Graham Skorogi said, if you cut the Bible anywhere, it bleeds. Because Jesus is all throughout it. And all of the Old Testament, all the Jewish scriptures were pointing to Jesus well in advance. So that when Jesus fulfilled all these prophecies, people would know this has to be undeniable evidence that he is the Christ who died and rose again. And perhaps Jesus pointed them, for example, to Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. Where David would write in the first person about the Messiah. 
They have pierced my hands and my feet. And David wrote that a thousand years before the Romans used crucifixion. Where maybe Jesus pointed them to Isaiah 52 and 53. Those two chapters where Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Christ. In chapter 52, he talks about how the Messiah will be brutally beaten beyond recognition. His face so marred by the beating he sustains, you would not recognize him. Chapter 53 is when Isaiah writes about how he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are made whole. We're healed. Maybe he pointed them to Zechariah 12, 10. 500 years before Jesus, the prophet Zechariah said, the Jews will look upon the one that they have pierced and they will mourn and weep bitterly. There's verse after verse after verse. And Jesus says, guys, listen, all these prophecies were written as a record to prove, to give you evidence that I am who the prophecies spoke of. And listen, what the Old Testament prophesied the New Testament records as history. Eyewitnesses who wrote down their testimony of having seen the risen Lord. Peter would preach in Acts 2.32 and he said, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact. Mary Magdalene would testify in John 20 verse 18, I have seen the Lord. But we have to resist something. Something that C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Here's what that means. C.S. Lewis wrote about how it's really easy for us in the 21st century to look down our noses at people in the first century and to think about them as inferior, unreliable, uneducated, uh, illiterate people. You know, and, and, but we in the 21st century, we're, we're educated, we're informed, we're, you know, we're super savvy. And, and so we have this chronological snobbery where we dismiss first century eyewitnesses. Let me tell you something. They were as legitimate as any time period. Okay. Don't look down your noses. Recognize these were real people who were recording real events that they personally eyewitnessed. But just in case there are some of you who just want to dismiss the Bible as kind of a whole unreliable source of history, did you know that outside of the Bible there are roughly 39 other ancient sources, historical sources in the first and second century, written by Jewish, Greek, and Roman historians that document collectively the birth, the life, the ministry, the miracles, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. Historic historians like Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny the Younger, Justin Martyr, Ignatius of Antioch, Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, just to name a few. Outside of the Bible, historical evidence. Brooke Foss Westcott, an English scholar and professor at Cambridge during the 19th and 20th centuries, he said, quote, raking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ, end quote. There's plenty of evidence for the head, if you would just be open to it. But that's not where it should stay. Because otherwise, then it's just an intellectual thing. 
So the other thing that Jesus imparted to his disciples that he imparts to us is hope for the heart. He didn't want it just to be a thing in the head. He wants to understand a heartfelt relationship we can have with him. And so he says there in the rest of the text, he says, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Listen, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. In other words, what happened that we're reading about here was not just for one people in one place at one time. It is for all people in all places for all time. And what Jesus said there when he said repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, what I'm doing right now is actually fulfilling his words. And you are participating in this service as a part of fulfilling those words. Because he calls us to repent that we might receive forgiveness of sins. Repent just means we turn from our life of sin and we run to Jesus. That's what repent means. We do a 180. We leave the life we were living and we run to Jesus and find forgiveness in Jesus. Now, I know this because I've spoken to enough people over 30 plus years of ministry. Some of you feel so ashamed and guilty and burdened by some of the things you've done that you're basically paralyzed and you think, I can't run to Jesus. Others of you are kind of on the other end of the spectrum that I've run into from time to time. And you do the comparison game and you think, well, comparatively, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. I don't need to run to Jesus. And most of us identify somewhere in the middle. The truth is, I don't care where you fall on that spectrum. We are all sinners and we all need a savior. The one who is under the worst, the heaviest burden of guilt because of the shameful things that you feel like you've done and the proudest person who doesn't yet see their need for Jesus, Jesus died for all of us because all of us are sinners. All of us have missed the mark. Okay? There's none righteous, no, not one. This is what the Bible says. Most people can at least say, oh, I'm not perfect. Well, you're basically admitting what I'm saying. If you can admit you're not perfect, what you're realizing is you don't measure up to the standard of God, which is what the Bible says. Well, what happens then? If you don't measure up to the standard of God, how can you go to heaven? How can you expect your sins forgiven? You have to humble yourself. And you have to accept what he's done for you. Admit that you're a sinner. Repent. Leave your life of sin. Run to Jesus. This is what this whole thing is all about. And Jesus, Jesus lovingly has his arms open to receive us. I read not too long ago a story that Chuck Swindoll wrote in a book that he wrote years ago. The book's called Growing Deep in the Christian Life. And in the book, he writes this story about how this major, um, one of the largest department stores that had a chain in America, he didn't name the, the department stores, but he said they, they tried this commercial, this commercial venture that proved to be very unsuccessful, disastrously unsuccessful. And it was to make a Jesus doll, okay? And it didn't sell. This is a long time ago. It didn't sell. I suppose it didn't sell because, you know, most kids, they want Jesus to take care of them. They don't want to have to take care of Jesus, right? And so it didn't sell. And so he writes in his book how one manager of one of the department stores decided to unload all these extra Jesus dolls that, that they had. And so he posted a big sign on his store. 
that said, Jesus Christ marked down 50%, get him while you can. (laughs) Sounds bizarre, doesn't it? The truth is that Jesus is 100% available, but you still need to get him while you can. Because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Some of you are probably here this year. And someone who was with you last year is no longer with us. Because none of us is guaranteed next year, next month, the next day, the next hour, the next minute. Every breath you draw is a gift from God. And it's another opportunity for you to get right with Him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You're going to have an opportunity today to know what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. I pray even now God is stirring your heart because He loves you that much. The Bible says God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whosoever, anyone, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, shall not suffer the consequences for our sins, because Jesus paid the price, and then we can go to heaven when we die. That's eternal life. Look, that's hope for the heart. There's nothing more hopeful than to be able to lay your head down at night on your pillow and to know that your sins are forgiven and that you're right with God. And conversely, there's nothing more tormenting than to lay your head down at night on your pillow and to be burdened by guilt and shame and not be right with God. I I pray that you will trust Him today. Several years ago, when Terry and I were first married, in fact, I think it was our first year of marriage, um, the church we were going to was having, like a, it was a bake sale auction. And the way it worked was the church was trying to raise money for some cause in the church. And so they asked people to bake goods like a cake or a pie or brownies, donate it to the church, and then people would come along and bid. It was an auction. And they would, the highest bidder would get that, that baked good the money would go to the church and they'd take the baked good home. So it was, it was a win-win. So Terry signed up. She says, I'll, I'll bake a cake for, for, the, for the cake auction. It's like, fine. So she's baking a cake. I'm watching the time. I'm like, honey, we got to go. The auction's about to start. And, you know, you promised a cake, so we got to take it. We got to run. She goes, it's not, it's not ready yet. It's got a little bit more time. I said, well, turn, the, turn up the heat in the oven. You know, like, let's get it. It's cooking. And, uh, and so she did. And and uh, while well, the time came, like, we got to go. It's like do or die. You know, it's game time. We got to go. So she pulled it out of the oven, and it's still gooey all on the inside. Like, it's still not done, okay? And so, so she starts cutting out all the gooey part of the middle of the cake, takes it out, takes paper towels, crunches up the paper towels, puts them in the hole, packs it down, and then ices over everything. Ices the whole thing. Okay, I'm standing there watching. I'm like, uh... Honey, sweetheart, uh, darling, uh, because we were married only in the first year, so I was still speaking real kindly. (laughs) All the guys know what I'm talking about. You get a little gruff the more you're married. It's not good, but that's just... And so I was just like, honey, sweetheart, uh, princess, um, you know, um, somebody's going to bid on this cake, 
They're going to get it home. They're going to cut into it. They're going to find your paper towels. This is not a good thing. She says, no, 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 no. I've got it all figured out. I've got it all figured out. Now, it looked beautiful. It was all ice. You could not tell there were paper towels in it. It was all beautiful ice, okay? And, and this was her plan. She looks at me and she goes, no, this, this is how it's going to work. It's going to be fine. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm promising you it's going to be fine. She looks at me and she says, because you are going to be the highest bidder on my cake. <laughs> it's a true story. I'm like, I already spent a buck 29 on the cake mix. What are you talking about? Now I got a bid on this cake? He says, yeah, you got a bid on it because you're right. I mean, I know, I understand. Like somebody's going to get it home, find the paper towel. So that can't happen. You've got to be the highest bidder. So I'm like sweating beads. You know, like I'm, I'm at the auction going, you know, I'll see your $5 and raise you 100 You know, I mean, I, I was just like, I got to get this cake. I got to get this cake. I got to take it home. And I don't remember what I ended up bidding, but I was the highest bidder. And I confiscated the pa- I secured the package, and I took it into the car, and we took it home later, and we, we ate around the paper towels. It was delicious. <laughs> it was actually like we, we could wipe our mouths at the same time. It was like a nice little package deal. I can't, on a serious note, I can't tell you how many times that story has come to my mind in this sense. A lot of people are just like that cake. All put together on the outside. And you would never know how empty they were in the middle. A lot of people like that. Maybe some of you even here today. You know it, but nobody else can tell. Because you're all well put together. You look perfect on the outside. Nobody would ever know how hollow you are on the inside. And let me tell you something. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ came along And he was the highest bidder to buy you back. That's Jesus. That's what he did for you. Before he took his own life, Robin Williams said, quote, All it takes is a beautiful smile to hide an injured soul, and they will never notice how broken you really are. Blaise Pascal, the famous 17th century physicist and philosopher, he said this, quote, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that only God can fill. It's true. We're all empty without Jesus. I pray that some of you would recognize that today and that you would receive the forgiveness that comes through a relationship with Jesus. I pray that those of you who came here somewhat empty on the inside will leave here full. Full of the forgiveness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. But the way that will happen is if you surrender your life and make a decision to repent of your sins and to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a bold and courageous decision. In a moment, I'm going to start to pray. And when I pray, if you want to get right with God and know what it is to be forgiven, to have the love of Jesus fill every open hole of your heart, then I want to ask you in a moment when I start to pray to get up out of your seat and to come and to stand down front here. And then for everybody who's standing down here, I will lead in a collective word of prayer for you to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, well, why why do I have to get up out of my seat? 
Can I just accept Jesus where I am? And truthfully, you can. I mean, you can accept Jesus right where you are. You can accept Jesus anywhere, any place, anytime. But let me tell you why I sometimes encourage people like today to get up and walk down front. Because Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father, which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. If you say to yourself, well, it's a little uncomfortable for me to come forward. Can I just lovingly remind you, it was very uncomfortable for Jesus to die on a cross. He took on our shame, our guilt, the consequences for our sin. And he did it all because of his love for you and me. And then he says, if you want the free gift of salvation, you need to accept me by faith. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Even you by online, if you want to pray this prayer with me in a moment, you can do the same. But for those of you here, and we have people in overflow today in the cafe and in the chapel, you can also come into the sanctuary. As I start to pray, just come. You know, the only thing standing between you and a relationship with Jesus, if I could just say this honestly, is pride. That's it. It's just pride. But you're surrounded by people who will applaud today's decision. This is a good place to know him. This is a good place to surrender your life. And so I want to make it easy for people who want to slip out and walk down front by asking everybody right now, if you don't mind, would you please all stand so people can slip out of the rows? And listen to me, when I start praying, don't delay. Just, just slip out and start walking because don't leave here regretting it because then you won't be happy with yourself. Make the right decision for Christ. And as I start praying and after I pray, Mike is going to start to sing either when I'm praying or when we're singing, you come. Lord, this is your story. And we thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son to die on a cross for us. And I thank you, Lord, for those who will make a decision right now. I pray in Jesus' name that you would move by your Holy Spirit upon men and women and young people to walk forward to make a decision for you because you say that if you're lifted up, you will draw all people unto yourself. So, Lord, we exalt you in this place. We worship you in this place. And I pray that those who have come in empty will leave here full, full of your forgiveness, full of your love, and full of your grace. So move even now, Lord, in the hearts of people as they make this decision today. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all come. Come on. Come down here. Let's sing. God bless you all. Come on. God bless you. God bless you, man. Come on. God bless you. God bless you. Come on. God bless you all. Have you come down to the end of yourself? is calling Come to the altar The Father's heart are open wide Forgiveness God bless you. Come on, ladies. Some people still walking. Come on, join these folks that have come down here. I pray that today will be the day that you, maybe for some of you, you've been estranged from the Lord. Not His doing, your doing. Today's the day for you to come home. You please come, join us down here. For others of you, you haven't known Him, today's going to be the day that you know Him. 
by surrendering your life to Jesus. So come on, join us down here. God bless you, ma'am. Come on, we're going to sing this. Sing it with Micah as people walk. Deep behind your regrets and mistakes Come today, there's no reason to wait But Jesus is calling sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born but Jesus is calling come to the altar of the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was brought with Precious blood of Jesus Christ you. Come on down here, young lady. Anybody else? Come on, it's not too late. God bless you all. Again, those of you who are in the overflow rooms, you can join these folks down here. This is that fine line that where I never want anybody to feel manipulated, but I also don't want to pray too quickly and leave you out. So if you're feeling that nudge, now's the time to come because I'm about to pray with these people. So is there, is there anyone else who wants to join them? We'll wait for you. Anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you. Come on down here. God bless you, sir. Come on down here. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? If you're walking this way and you're coming to join them, you got to wave at me. Otherwise, I guess you're going to the bathroom. I don't know. So I, I don't know. I don't want to wait for you. That could be a while. I want to pray for everybody who's down here. So if anyone else, if you're coming, just wave at me so I know to wait. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Are you coming? Wave. Great. Come on down. God bless you. Come on. God bless you. bless you. This prayer you're about to pray and this decision you're about to make is the most important one of your entire life. I'm going to pray this prayer out loud and I'm going to go slowly enough because I want you to pray it out loud with me. Just repeat it after me. But this is a great day. This is a great prayer. So just pray it out loud and pray it boldly. Okay. Just follow after me. Just say this. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me so much. You would die on a cross for me. I repent of my sins. I run to you, Jesus. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. By faith I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise his name. All right, don't go anywhere just for a minute. Don't go anywhere just for a minute because our pastors are going to circulate through you, uh, through the group here and give you a Bible. And so we want you to take that as a reminder of today's decision. And then also they have these cards. These cards show you kind of next steps because this is the beginning of a journey with Jesus. Even if you're out of state, you can join some of these classes online. So pick up one of these. Also, Kelly over here through the center. We want to make sure people get these cards as well. As soon as you get your Bible and your card, you're welcome to go back to your seat because the worship team wants to close with one last song. Oh, by the way, online viewers, if you want a Bible too, if you pray to receive Christ, text in to the church at 703-844-9969. The number should be on your screen on online and we'll send you a Bible. We send Bibles all around the world. It's a glorious thing. What a wonderful thing when people get saved. And the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. There's a symphony of praise today. So, worship team, we got one last chorus. God bless you. Have a happy Easter. Let's sing.